0: Good morning. Good morning. Wow. It's morning somewhere, right? I'm in Sunday mode. Can you tell? Good evening. Genesis 29. You know what's hilarious is this passage is all about how God works through our imperfections. So there you go. Because, again, we're reminded as we study the book of Genesis that these folks that God was working in and working through were far from perfect, and I hope that will encourage you. As I shared before our worship time, God doesn't need anything to work with, nothing. He created a universe out of nothing. He needs nothing to work with. So if you have a situation in your life, a circumstance that seems very daunting or hopeless or all of that, remember, God needs nothing to work with. God can do miracles with nothing. And again, we're going to also learn a lot about the love of God here by even seeing the love that even we as very imperfect human beings can have for one another, that God's love goes way beyond that. And no one will ever love us more than God loves us. And I hope more than anything else that when all of us leave here tonight or when you shut your TVs off at home from this service tonight, that you'll know that God loves you. Because if you can leave here knowing and receiving the love of God, there's nothing better than that. Nothing. So Genesis 29 begins with Jacob's journey. He is continuing to move on. Remember last week he had this moment in Bethel where God was there and he began to recognize and be aware of the presence of God and he He sets up this this sacred stone and and this altar as a memorial to to God meeting with him and, and his presence being manifested to him. And then it says in chapter 29, verse 1, Jacob moved on. He kept moving. I want us to begin there. God wants us to keep moving along with him. He doesn't want us to just, stagnate. He doesn't want us to just sit down and stay there. There's going to be times and seasons in our life where God wants us to rest and take a break, and obviously even weekly we need to do that, right? But just like with Elijah, who was overcome with depression, God allowed him to stay there for a little while and to minister to him and to to build him back up physically, emotionally, and spiritually, but then God said, I got more for you to do. Let's, let's go. Let's keep moving. God always wants us to keep moving, to keep progressing, to keep moving further towards all that he has for us. And you see Jacob doing that. He came to the land of the eastern people, and he saw in the field a well, a life-giving water source that he could draw from with three flocks of sheep living beside of it, because the flocks were watered from that well. Their thirst was quenched out of that well, and it says there was a large stone covering the mouth of the well. I want to stop here because, again, wells are significant in the Bible. Old and New Testament, great things happen around wells. Why? Because it's a water source and it's life-giving, and it's refreshing, and it's restorative, and it's, it's, a, it's a place of refuge and all of that. Wells were good places and, and, and places that were significant and special, and we're going to see God doing a, another significant and special thing here around this well because it's going to be around this well where Jacob meets Rachel. Rachel. The point I want to make is this, and I made this a couple weeks ago, but I want to remind us all of this and reemphasize it tonight. All of us need to draw from our wells. Now, obviously, the best well that we have is the presence of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who gives us that living water that Jesus talked about in John chapter 4 that is always available to us. And we need to make sure that we are always drawing from the Holy Spirit and tapped into him, in a sense, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's our greatest well, and it exists within us. But God also gives us other wells other places where we can be restored, renewed, and refreshed. And God gives us certain people throughout our life that can also be spiritual wells for us. Those relationships that restore us, refresh us, rejuvenate us. Listen, there's no doubt about it. There are some relationships in our life that drain us and deplete us. We all have them, and we all have to navigate those relationships. But God also understands that we also need just a few of those who can replenish us, who are our spiritual wells that we can draw from as we fellowship and do life and ministry together. Keep drawing from your well. And then there are places Not just people, but places that can become our wells. Again, as I said a couple weeks ago, I hope that the Oasis Church is always a place where we feel we can come to and be refreshed and rejuvenated and renewed. It can be a well for us, a spiritual well that fills us up. We need wells. We need wells. And we need to keep drawing from our wells so that we can be filled up with the fullness of God. Well, when all the flocks, verse 3, were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone off the mouth of the well and the water of the sheep. They would put the stone back in its place over the well's mouth. Makes sense. In order for something not to fall in or contaminate the well or whatever. And Jacob asked them, my brothers, where are you from? And they replied, we're from Haran, which is where he was headed to. Remember, that was the goal. That was the place that he was headed So he said to them, do you know Laban, the grandson of Nahor? And we know him, they said. Is he well, Jacob asked. And they replied, he is well. And then at that very moment, in fact, in the net, it says, now look, in other translations, it uses the word behold. Because literally in the Hebrew, that's the word. Behold. Guess who comes? Rachel. Why? Because the word behold reminds us, as Christians, there are no coincidences or accidents with God. God is a providential God, and he was right there in the midst of it, down to the very detail that Rachel was going to be approaching that well just as Jacob got there. Listen, God can do those kind of things, and only God can do those kind of things. So, again, we have to look at our life that way. There are no accidents. There are no coincidences. No. Providence of God. Providence of God, you see. Whatever God or whoever God is bringing into your life or allowing it, there's purposes for it. We might not see it initially, but God is always working, working, working. And she came with the sheep. Because in a sense, she was the shepherd. In fact, it says in verse 9, she was tending them. By the way, at its very essence, to be a shepherd or to tend sheep is not just to protect them and, say, lead them to pasture. The very essence of being a shepherd is to continually accompany the sheep and to care for them. And that's a beautiful picture of our shepherd, our great and good shepherd, He always accompanies the sheep. You see, the sheep were never apart from the shepherd. They were always together. That's a good shepherd. Other shepherds would distance themselves and, you know, not care and just send their sheep. But no, no, the shepherd was always there with the sheep. Every moment. They were never out of his care and never out of his sight. And the same thing is true with you and I. Our good shepherd always accompanies us. Yes, he will protect us as part of that. And yes, he will lead us to green pastures and provide for us. But ultimately, it's all about his presence being continually with us. That's the mark of a good shepherd. And that's who Rachel was. Jacob says, verse 7, since it is still the middle of the day, is it not time for the flocks to be gathered? He's one of those guys, he's a, you know, he's a guest. He's just gotten there and he's telling them how to do their job. You ever had somebody like that? Like, they've been doing this for a long time and somebody just shows up and starts telling you how to do things, right? You should water the sheep and then go and let them graze some more. Now, they say we can't, verse 8. Well, that's not honest. They could. The more honest answer is we won't. And the point I want to make is this. What you're seeing is tradition or culture play out here. They, they had a tradition that they wouldn't do that. It's not that they couldn't do it. They just didn't do it. And you and I have to be careful of the things that we say, oh, I can't do that if it's something that is based in tradition or it's the way we've always done it. That doesn't fly with God, you see. We can't. Until all the flocks are gathered and the stone is rolled off the mouth of the well, then we water the sheep. I love this. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel arrived with her father's sheep, for he, she was tending them. And when Jacob saw Rachel, oh my, to say he was smitten, or as I like to use this word, twitterpated, is not an exaggeration. Once he saw her, he was done. In fact, If you go down to verse 18, it even tells us Jacob had already fallen in love with Rachel. Is there such a thing as love at first sight? Well, in the Bible, there's an instance of it. When Jacob saw Rachel, I think that man was immediately in love with her. And I'm I'm skipping a little bit ahead here, but why I believe that Rachel was the love of Jacob's life was because at the end of his life, and we'll get to it many chapters from now, as he's recounting his life, he says there are two distinct people that stand out to him as he looks back on his life. One is his God, and the second person is Rachel. That's the only other human being that he mentions at the end of his life. So he sees her, and he sees that she's tending the sheep of, her, of his uncle Laban. He went over, and notice what he does in verse 10. He rolls the stone off the mouth of the well and watered the sheep of his uncle Laban all by himself. He's doing a, Ugh. because notice, the stone was so big that it took many of the men to roll it off normally. Jacob's going over and going, I got this. What's he doing? He's trying to impress this girl. That's what guys do when they like somebody. Listen, I can remember, even though it's been many, many, many years ago now, I can still remember as if it was Yesterday. Uh, us guys you know the football team in the in the high school and we're in the weight room and we're lifting weights and we're just lazy we're not really like lifting weights or yeah you know, we're just sort of like going through the motions until the cheerleaders walk through and when the cheers were all of a sudden all the football players were like pumping iron and we're going at it you know what are we we're we just trying to be impressive that was Jacob it, it, In essence, in humanity, that's what he's trying to do. I'm going over, and I'm going to pick up this stone all by myself, and I'm going to remove it from the well. Then verse 11, Jacob kissed Rachel, which isn't unusual. That was actually just a sign of greeting, okay? He didn't kiss her on the lips. That was just a way to greet one another in that culture. And then notice what he began to do. He began to weep loudly, verse 11. Why? Because he was expressing all this emotion that he had kept within him for so long of, of, of joy and, in a sense, relief. In his mind, it's like, I, this is the one. This is my one. This is, this is the love of my life. This is the one that, that, that I'm going to marry and that God's going to continue to work through and, and fulfill his promises to that he made to my grandfather Abraham. When you begin to see God work and and you're aware of it, sometimes we are just overcome, realizing that we're brought to tears. We're we're overcome with joy and and other emotions because we see the hand of God at work in our lives. That's where Jacob was at. And listen, he was far from a perfect follower, as we're going to see. He doesn't always rely and depend upon the Lord and follow the Lord fully like he should. He's learning. But at least he's doing it with God, and God knows that when he just continues to walk with him, that eventually Jacob will grow into who God wants him to be, and God looks at us the same way. We may be far from where we should be or need to be, but if we just keep walking with God, we're going to keep moving and making that progress, and that's what God's looking for. Do we see the hand of God at work in our lives? Jacob then explained to Rachel, verse 12, that he was a relative of her father and son of Rebekah, and notice what she does then. She ran. She rushed to tell her father. Why? Because now she's excited. She begins to... To see, And maybe God had already been working in her heart in life. I think so, because God works on both ends. And she was realizing God's at work here. And, and we get excited when we see and hear about God at work. It, it should be something that does, you know, sort of excite us and exhilarate us when we see God at work. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban how he was related to him. Then verse 14, then Laban said to him, you are indeed my own flesh and blood. So Jacob stayed with him for a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, should you work for me for nothing because you're my relative? Tell me what your wages should be. Verse 16, now Laban had two daughters. The older one was named Leah. The younger one was Rachel. Leah's eyes were tender, but Rachel had a lovely figure and beautiful appearance. Basically, the Bible was saying this. Look, can't get around it. Leah just wasn't as physically attractive as Rachel. And why does it talk about Leah's eyes? Because even to this very day, in that part of the world, eyes are the height of beauty. That's the way they measure beauty, the eyes. In the Hebrew, the best that I can get out of it is that Leah had what maybe I would describe today as just not very bright eyes, eyes that just didn't pop. They they didn't have any, you know, sparkle to them, where Rachel's just sort of like, you know, jumped out at you. There was that characteristic of Rachel. Now, notice, though, Jacob falling in love with Rachel wasn't in comparison to her less attractive sister Leah because he had already fallen in love the first time he saw Rachel. But they're just making that comparison there. And it says, Jacob had already fallen in love with Rachel and said, I'll serve you seven years in exchange for your younger daughter, Rachel. What do we learn about love? Because remember, this is right in the context of saying he had already fallen in love with Rachel. Love sees serving the one you love as a privilege and looks for opportunities to serve the one you love. He loved this girl so much he was willing to serve his uncle for seven years. That's love. In fact, we know that to be true because our God demonstrated his love for us by serving us, by becoming the ultimate servant and becoming obedient even unto death, death on a cross. In fact, Jesus Christ is going to show his love for us and even serving us throughout eternity. Isn't that crazy? Even when we get to eternity, Jesus Christ Is still going to be serving us because that's one of the ways you and I demonstrate our love for those we love. And Jesus loves us because he serves us. And those we love, we should look at serving them as a privilege and look for opportunities to serve the one we love. It's a little convicting, isn't it, and challenging. Verse 19, Laban replied, I'd rather give her to you than to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob worked seven years to acquire Rachel. And then notice this. These seven years seemed like only a few days to him because his love for her was so great. Love views no sacrifice as too great for the one you love. No sacrifice too great for the one we love. Love lays down our own lives for the ones we love continually. Isn't that what Jesus says? Greater love has no one than this, that a man or woman would lay down their life for their what, Friends. Lay self aside and sacrifice. That's love. And no sacrifice is too great when we love like God loves. Because, again, God is our greatest example of that. God made the greatest sacrifice imaginable out of his love for us. He left the glories of heaven, took upon himself humanity, and then allowed those he created to abuse him and slander him and reject him and, all of it, and eventually crucify him. No sacrifice was too great for God to go through to demonstrate his love for us. And God calls us to agape those we love in that same way. You see. See, so this passage, even with imperfect people, is showing us that if we very imperfectly can love like that, then how much more does God love each of us? Finally, Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, verse 21, for my time of service is up. I want to have marital relations with her. So Laban invited all the people of that place and prepared a feast. By the way, at these feasts, there was drinking involved. So I believe that Jacob probably had a little bit too much feasting and a little bit too much to drink. And in the evening, he brought his daughter Leah to Jacob instead of Rachel and Jacob had marital relations with her. Ooh, the irony is thick in this chapter, isn't it? Jacob has always been the one to deceive others, including his own father, and now he's being deceived himself. Couple things. First, I personally believe that Jacob could have been spared from this moment of deception had he done a couple things. Had he sought God and leaned into God because God said in the previous chapter, I'll be with you, I'll protect you. God is the one who can give us discernment. But Jacob also maybe made the mistake of not being able to have his total mental faculties either by going to this feast and maybe becoming inebriated so that he didn't really know what was going on in his tent that night when Leah came to him instead of Rachel. He was sort of out of it. So there's several things at play here. And the reason I say that I believe God would have prevented Jacob from making this mistake is we all know that God does not bless nor condone polygamy, right? God's one woman, one man. So in God's mind, it should have just been Jacob and Rachel, right? But now Leah is going to be introduced through this deception of Uncle Laban. And we know, obviously, Leah was in on this deception too. She knew what was going on. She deceived as well, which leads me then to this point before we move on. There will be times as God builds our character or seeks to build our character, where God will bring into our life as a mirror someone to treat us the way we treat others in order to truly feel what it feels like to be treated that way. Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob was a manipulator. That's how Jacob lived his life. And in a sense, now God is bringing his uncle as a mirror into his life to say, how do you like that? How do you like being on the other side of being deceived? How do you like being manipulated? How do you like being tricked? Doesn't feel too good, does it, Jacob? And God will do the same thing with us. Those blind spots or hidden spots in our character, sometimes that we don't even realize how we're coming across or treating others, God will many times bring someone into our life as a mirror and go, ooh, I don't like that. And then God will begin to say, but you treat others the same way. Doesn't feel too good, does it? You see. And again, but God's working, always working, Even with very imperfect people. In the morning, verse 25, Jacob discovers it was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What in the world have you done to me? Didn't I work in exchange for Rachel? Why have you tricked me? Very ironic, isn't it? And Laban's answer is, It's not our custom here. The custom is the older one goes first before the younger one. Well, why didn't you tell me that? Part of the deception. So Laban says this, complete my older daughter's bridal week, and then I'll give you the younger one too in exchange for seven more years of work. In other words, give me one more week, and then you can have Rachel, so then you can have both of them, which again, that's not God's will, but God will work through imperfect circumstances, and then you work for me seven more years, so a total of 14 altogether. So verse 28, Jacob did as Laban said, and when Jacob completed Leah's bridal week, Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife, and Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. By the way, I'll just stop and say, there's no modern-day soap opera on television that can beat Genesis. (laughs) There just isn't. I mean, it's just like, wow, you know, And it's going to get better, if you know what I mean. Not better, better, but better than this. Jacob had marital relations with Rachel as well. And then notice, he loved Rachel more than Leah. So he worked for Laban for seven more years. By the way, this is a good time to point this out. When it says he loved her more than Leah... That's actually a very true statement about love. Love is a discriminating affection. We need to get that. You can't love everything or everyone equally, which is why Jesus or God calls us to love him, what? Above everything else. In fact, he even compares it to hate. He says, you have to hate, meaning not literal hate, but you've got to love everything and everyone else in your life less than you love me. I must be your first and greatest affection and love. Why? Because love is a... You and I can't love everything equally. No man can serve two masters. No one can love... So that's why when we live our lives, we have to learn to narrow the focus of our life and what we pour ourselves into, because we can, even though we live in a world and in a culture that tells all of us, you can have it all and do it all, that's not true. That's a lie. You can only pour yourself out and love so many people and so many things. Something's got to give. If I then love so much over here, then that means I'm sacrificing over here. That's the way love is, you see. And we come to that reality in verse 30. Well, let's finish then the passage. There's still some good stuff here. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, notice, he sees and cares about us. He was paying attention and taking note of Leah too, and he comes to her and ministers to her. That's the way God is. When he sees that there are people who are unloved, and being treated badly, God will come and minister to them because he cares. He enabled her then to become pregnant while Rachel remained childless. By the way, verse 31 then reminds us that if Jacob was lying with Leah, that we learn another important principle. Love and sexual intimacy are not one and the same. They were having sexual intimacy with each other, but... Jacob didn't love Leah. We live in a world today that equates sex with love. No, not always the case. (laughs) No, those two aren't always the case, you see. And we see that here. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, verse 32, and she named him Reuben, which means behold a son. The Lord has looked or seen me with pity on my depressed or oppressed condition. She became pregnant again and had another son. Oh, by the way, almost missed this. Notice what she says at the end of verse 32. This is important. After she has her first son, Leah says, surely my husband will love me now. Oh, look, another important principle about love. We can't make other people love us. Can't do it. That love has to come from within them or us, either way. You can't make somebody love you. And this dear poor girl who was unloved, and that's tragic, and we're gonna talk more about that as we go through the weeks. But you can't look at your value to your husband or it was just birthing children. And that's what both Leah and Rachel were reduced to. They saw their value and worth not in their relationship with God, but in just the ability to have children. How sad that so many people go through life and they try to grope or grasp for what their value and worth is and things that aren't going to really fulfill or satisfy them. She became pregnant again and had another son, verse 33, and she said, because the Lord heard that I was unloved, he he not only sees me, Reuben, he now hears me and cares about me, He gave me this one too, so she named him Simeon, which comes from the Hebrew shama, which means to hear. God has seen me. God has heard me. And she's naming her sons in relationship to who God is to her, which that's that's very cool. Names were important. Names carry meaning. Then verse 34, she became pregnant again and had another son. She said, now this time my husband will show me affection. He will finally pay attention to me because I've given birth to now three sons for him. And that is why he was named Levi, which the name Levi means to accompany or to be attached to someone. So by naming her third son Levi, she's saying, I hope now my husband will pay attention, accompany me, be attached to me, you know. Right now, I'm just someone who births his children, which, again, very sad. And all I can tell you is God saw the condition of Leah, and God was ministering to her in a way that no one else could do. In fact, I think we see that come out then finally in verse 35, when she grows out of naming her children in a way trying to gain the attention of her husband who will never love her like he loves Rachel. And finally, I think she's realizing my fulfillment and satisfaction ultimately is not gonna be found in the love of any man. It's gonna be found in the love that God has for me. And I'm just gonna thank him for what he's doing in my life instead of trying to sort of manipulate things or work things so that I can try to make somebody love me who doesn't. Because again, I think she was realizing that doesn't work. So she said, notice, this time, that means a change has occurred within Leah. This time, I will praise the Lord. I will give thanks. I will worship the Lord. And that's why she named him Judah, which simply means the object of praise or I will praise. And then it says she stopped having children. All these things going on. And yet, guess what? God's at work. God's fulfilling his purposes, his plan, and his promises in the midst of this mess. And God is doing the same thing today in our world, in our nation, in our families, in our lives. God doesn't need perfect because there are no perfect people for God to work through. Never has been, never will be. And there are no perfect conditions or situations or circumstances for God to work in. God works through anything and everything with nothing. And you know the reason why? Well, one is because God is all-powerful, but two is because God is motivated simply by his great love for us. I mean, think about all the trouble, in a sense, that God goes through for us. God chose that. God could have lived for all of eternity by himself and perfectly happy. And yet when God brought us into the world, he obligated himself to basically deal with us and all of our stuff. That's how much God loves us. And I hope that even through seeing love through someone as feeble and frail and finite as Jacob and the love that he had for Rachel, as great as that was, that God loves us so much more, so much more, infinitely more. And that there is no sacrifice too great for God to demonstrate his love for us because he's already done it and he will continue to do it. And there's no service that he does not consider an honor and a privilege. I mean, think about our Lord who took that towel and kneeled down and washed his disciples' dirty, stinky, smelly feet. Jesus did that. You know why? Because he loves. God is love. And God loves you more than you could ever imagine. Don't ever forget how much God loves you and keep on receiving God's love for you each and every day. God, we thank you tonight for your reckless love that chases us down, that pursues us, that takes no thought of how it's going to affect you. You're willing to go to the nth degree, as we say, to show us how much you love us each and every day. And God, I just pray that we would be just overwhelmed by how much we are loved by you, that we would wake up every day so thankful and grateful that we have that love of yours in our life and that we can live out of that love and by that love and know that there's no love that can ever fulfill us and satisfy us and, and meet that spot in us like your love can. We can search for a thousand lifetimes to anyone and every other thing, God, to try to find what's going to hit that spot. But God, only your love hits that spot. And I pray, God, that we allow that love of yours to hit that spot in us each and every day. God, we thank you for this time we've had together. Take us all home, we pray safely in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.